Good afternoon. Oh my gosh, that was underwhelming. Let's try that again. Good afternoon. Awesome. Have you had a great conference so far? Give all the people who have put this on a round of applause. I've just been kind of hanging around in the periphery, but I've been seeing how well things are going. And things have been going really, really well, and so I'm honored to be part of this. Um, that was a pretty impressive video about me. Would you agree? Say yes. Now be honest. How many of you before this event never heard of me? Raise your hand. Raise it up. That's okay. I haven't heard of half of you either. <laughs> I want to make sure I'm talking to the right group, though. There's another event going on here, and I was walking over there as well. I want to make sure I'm talking to the right group. Do you all deal with complaints and complainers on a regular basis? Raise your hand. Okay, good. That's what we are here to talk about. I never set out to be the world authority on complaining. I wanted to play the drums for KISS. Things just didn't quite work out the way I had hoped. And every time I'm introduced and it says I'm the world authority on complaining, people laugh. But this is actually a very serious topic. I didn't create this. This created me. What happened was in 2006, I was teaching a class on prosperity. And I asked the group in the class, how many of you want to be more prosperous? Raise your hand. So let me ask you. How many of you want to be more prosperous? Raise your hand. This isn't hand raising. Raise your hand. All right. You know what that makes you, don't you? Normal. It makes you normal. It is normal for people to want more, to be more prosperous. The challenge that I noticed when I was teaching this class is that at that time, now this was pre-pandemic, this was pre-housing crisis, we were living in the healthiest, wealthiest time in human history. And yet not only did people want more, what I noticed was that people were complaining incessantly about what they already had. And as Wayne Dyer put it so well, if you're unhappy with what you have, why would you want more? Did you know the average person complains 15 to 30 times a day and they have no awareness they're doing it? If you think about it, complaining is like bad breath. You notice it when it comes out of somebody else's mouth, but not so much when it comes out of your own. So I had this outlandish idea. I wanted to encourage the people who were taking this class to go 21 days in a row without complaining. Now, why 21 days? A lot of people believe that if you do something over and over for 21 consecutive days, it will become a habit. But then it occurred to me, how would you know what day you're on? I mean, nobody is going to just make it 21 consecutive days if the average person complains 15 to 30 times a day. 
So I got this idea. What if we gave everybody a little purple bracelet, just like is in front of all of your chairs today or in your chair. And the idea is you put the bracelet on your wrist and no, you do not snap it. You don't do violence to yourself to try and improve yourself. The goal is to go how many days in a row without complaining? 21. So you start off, you're on day. Very good. When you complain, you have to start all the way back over on day one. So you put the bracelet on, you're on day one. You complain, you switch it to the other wrist, and you're back on day one. Very good. So I handed out 250 of these in July of 2006. Within 30 days, this was pre-smartphones, this was pre-social media. There was no news stories about it at that time. But within 30 days, we had requests for 9,000 bracelets. People just telling people, telling people, telling people, telling people. Then it was picked up by the Kansas City Star, picked up by the uh, McClatchy News Service, Stars and Stripes, and as you saw, Oprah, the Today Show. I'm the only author that Maya Angelou has ever written a forward for their book. And how in the world did this happen? That's what I tried to figure out, because I never intended for this to happen the way it has. And I'm going to share with you that it happened for two reasons. But I can tell you that as I speak today, you're going to want to be clicking my slides, you're going to want to be taking notes, and I don't want you to do that. So everybody, pull out your phone right now. Aim your camera at the QR code. You don't need to check Twitter. You can do that later or whatever. It's going to ask you if you want to open this in a browser. Say yes. Input your email address. And we will automatically email you a synopsis of what I'm going to be talking about. So you can be present with me today rather than feeling like you have to take notes. How many times a day does the average person complain? I said it a minute ago. 15, 15 to 30. I want to help you understand the next time you check your phone, the next time you check your computer, I want you to know what to say to turn complaints into collaboration rather than constantly dealing with complainers. Does that sound good? Say yes. yes. Let me hear everybody say yes. yes. Good. All right. So as I said, there are two reasons I think that this took off around the world. Number one, there's too much complaining in the world. If you agree with that, please say yes. yes. And number two, the world isn't the way we would like it to be. If you agree, say yes. yes. All right. Here's the thing, friends. The two are correlated. We are so busy talking about focusing on putting our creative energy on our complaints, on what is wrong, that we are not putting our creative energy on what is right and what is working. The dictionary defines complaint as to express grief, pain, 
or discontent. So, which of these words is in yellow? Express. So by its definition, a complaint must be expressed. I say this because whenever I do one of these events and bring bracelets, I get some overachiever who comes up to me while I'm signing books outside and says, I'm going to switch my bracelet with every negative thought. <laughs> to which I say, good luck with that. Because we think on average 45,000 thoughts a day. And let me ask you, are most of the thoughts we think positive or negative? Negative, negative exactly. Human beings have what is called a negativity bias. We are biased towards that which is negative. It is what has kept us alive as a species. Unfortunately, at the cost of our interpersonal relationships as well as our success. Now this is a key concept. It is not complaining to speak directly and only to the person who can resolve your issue. If you are the person that someone needs to come to to have an issue solved, it's not a complaint. We so often want to think it's a complaint, but it's not. That is a request for accountability. It's not a complaint. It's a request for accountability. Now, it may come at you with one of these voices. And you know why people do that? Because when they're kids, they do that with their parents, and they get their way. And they think that for the rest of their lives, when they want something, they have to be upset and whiny. But they don't. All they need to do is ask you. So I'm inviting you, when someone comes at you with one of these, look for the real request for accountability behind it. Eckhart Tolle put it really well. He said, complaining is not to be confused with informing someone of a mistake or a deficiency so that it can be put right. And to refrain from complaining doesn't necessarily mean putting up with bad quality or behavior. There is no ego, he says, in telling the waiter your soup is cold and needs to be heated up if you stick to the facts, which are always what? Let me hear everybody say it. Neutral. Facts are always neutral. Hmm. How dare you serve me cold soup? That's complaining. The opposite of complaining is gratitude. Complaining is always about what is wrong and what is missing. Gratitude is always about what is present and what is working. It's great to be here in Atlanta. I am from the South. I'm originally from South Carolina. It's good to be around people who talk normal. <laughs> and understand what grits are at a restaurant. But when I was a boy, I was one of three boys. And uh, both of my brothers actually lived here in Atlanta for a while. And uh, 
I came to visit them and the three of us were walking around. We had the same hairstyle <laughs> or lack of hairstyle. And somebody said, oh, look, it's the Blue Man group on vacation. <laughs> so when I was a kid, my mom, if we were good, would take us out to lunch on Sundays. That was our big reward. She would take us out to lunch. And my mother was raised as a Southern lady, and she only spoke nice to everybody. <laughs> and whenever the server would come around and ask, how was your meal, or do you need anything? My mother had one and only one response. It's just fine. Is everything okay? Just fine. Do you need anything else? Just fine. And as soon as the waiter would walk away, my mother would look at me and my two brothers and say things like, you know, I ordered my tea sweet, and this is unsweet. And one time, my little brother couldn't have been more than seven, bless his heart. And my mother said, you know, I ordered my steak medium, and this is about burnt. And my little brother said, Mama, do you see a waiter outfit on me? <laughs> Who should my mother have been speaking to? Not a rhetorical question. Who should my mother be speaking to? So also not a rhetorical question. Whom should you be speaking to instead of whomever you might be complaining to? Speak directly and only to the person who can resolve your issue. I lived a great example of this pre-pandemic. I was speaking in Denver, Colorado, and I had an early morning speech. My sound check was at seven, my speech was at eight. Got in late that night, and the uh, driver who was driving me there said, boy, you're lucky. They put you up in the nicest hotel in Denver. And they were right, it was beautiful. But there was one small problem. It was about 10 o'clock that night, I'm lying in bed, just about to fall asleep. And then I hear this noise on the other side of the hotel room wall. And the noise starts off kind of slow and quiet. And then it gets louder and faster. And the noise goes, it's not what you're thinking. Shame on you. I was on the fifth floor of the hotel and the building next door was five stories high and had one of those big exhaust fans on it and it had a rusty spot. So it started off, squeak, squeak. By the way, I thought the same thing you did. But it went on entirely too long. <laughs> so I called down to the front desk and I said, you're probably not aware of this, but, which is a great way to start a conversation. You're probably not aware of this, but 
And then I explained it to them. And they moved me into a three-bedroom suite in the hotel. And I slept in every single one of those beds. <laughs> just because I could. But I have to be honest with you, in the past, I would have handled this differently. I would have called my mother. Can you believe this best hotel in Denver? I'll show them. I'll stay in the room. And that's what we do. We stay in rooms, relationships, jobs, situations where we're not happy, where we're not fulfilled, but we don't speak directly and only to the person who can resolve our issue. We talk to everybody else. Now, the interesting thing was, after this whole bracelet phenomenon just took off underneath me, and as you probably heard in the introduction, more than 15 million people in 106 countries have taken this challenge now. But people started calling me and asking me questions about complaining. Like I knew. At that point, I didn't. So for 16 years, I had studied the effects of complaining. And let me share with you just some of the things that I've learned. Number one, complaining actually costs you money. Costs money. A study of 1,300 U.S. employees found that 78% of them waste four and a half hours every week just sitting around listening to coworkers complain. How many of you think that might be low? <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. So I've got a few slides with numbers. Don't let this throw you. If you've got 100 employees based, based on what I just shared with you, you're losing almost $600,000 in wasted productivity just from employees standing around complaining to each other. But this is the scariest slide I have. One out of every 10 people in this country who quit their job quit because of the negativity of complaining coworkers. Now, why is this my scariest slide? Because those are always your best people. It's your best people with your best attitudes that say, you know, I can work anywhere. I don't want to be around all this negativity. And so they leave, one out of every 10 people, and then you're stuck with the other nine, the Eeyores, I call them. And the Eeyores look at that one and go, well, we got rid of another Winnie the Pooh. And that's what happens. That's why long before COVID, I used to say that complaining is a pandemic, that when it takes over your organization, it kills it from within. Three-fourths of U.S. employees say they would refuse a better job, not a lateral move, a better job with a $10,000 raise if they had to work alongside a complainer. So complaining costs money. But have you noticed that complaining is a competitive sport? <laughs> raise your hand. Oh, yeah, very much so. I saw this played out. I was speaking to a very large school district in Chicago. 
And it, I, the event was being held in a school. I was speaking to thousands of teachers, uh, superintendents, principals, just lots of people. It was like three or 4,000 people. And they took me to the faculty lounge before my speech. And there was a ton of people in the faculty lounge. And as we're standing there, in walks the football coach. Well, he didn't really walk. He hobbled in like this. As my mama would say, he had a hitch in his get along. <laughs> so he comes in and the superintendent I'm talking to says, coach, and he walks over, he says, what's the matter? And the coach said, um, it's kind of embarrassing actually. I, I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom last night. I stubbed my toe and I think I broke it. The nail is black. He barely got those words out of his mouth before another teacher said, you know, about five years ago, I got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I stubbed my toe, came down wrong, twisted my ankle, and I was on crutches for three months. Sure enough, somebody hears that and says, you know, I've got an uncle. He got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom, stubbed his toe, fell over backwards, hit his head on a coffee table, and died. <laughs> what do you think everybody else does? You win. <laughs> Complaining always goes in degrees of higher severity. Never the other way around. That's why it's a competitive sport. That's why if you've got one employee, they're going to try and out-complain another employee. And by the way, people only complain for five reasons, and I'm going to teach you those today. You'll know them cold when you leave. But understand that when one person complains, could you imagine if this had been reversed, my story? Could you imagine if somebody would have said, my uncle stubbed his toe, fell over backwards, hit his head, and died? And then the coach would have said, well, I stubbed my toe and the nail is black. Everybody would look at him like, what is wrong with you? Don't you know how complaining works? Complaining always goes in degrees of higher severity. So complaining costs money, it's a competitive sport. The biggest challenge with complaining, I find, is that it keeps your focus on the problem. You're just talking about the problem. My favorite story about this is uh, two construction workers sit down for lunch one day. The first one opens his lunch box and he looks inside and goes, oh, gross. And his buddy said, what's wrong? And the first guy says, I got a meatloaf sandwich for lunch. His buddy goes, what's wrong with that? The first guy goes, I hate meatloaf. Next day, same two guys sit down. First one opens his lunchbox, looks inside and goes, oh, come on. You got to be kidding me. And his buddy, same thing. What's the matter? I got another meatloaf sandwich. And his buddy said, that's two days in a row. And the guy goes, I know. 
Third day, same two guys sit down. First one opens his lunchbox. This time he reaches in, grabs his sandwich, crushes it, and goes, I've had it. I have had it. Day in and day out, I get the same damn thing. I want something different. And his buddy goes, hey man, I don't want to tell you what to do, but why don't you ask your wife to make you something else? And the first guy still crushing his sandwich goes, I make my own lunch. <laughs> if you get nothing else I say today, let it be an understanding, you make your own lunch. By the words that come out of your mouth, you create your life every day. You make your own lunch. And complaining costs money. It's a competitive sport. Keeps your focus on the problem and complaining damages health. There has actually been a lot of research done into the negative effects of complaining on your body and on your brain. Complaining, chronic complaining, causes your body to produce massive amounts of cortisol. Can somebody tell me what cortisol is? Thank you, yes, it's the stress hormone. So people who chronically are stressed often tend to be people who chronically complain because they are elevating that cortisol in their bloodstream. What's wrong with cortisol? Cortisol can cause, huh? Inflammation. Inflammation, yes. It can also cause high blood pressure, heart attack, stroke. Cortisol, the way I like to think of cortisol, I grew up driving a car with a clutch. <laughs> and I always think about cortisol as if you are pressing down the accelerator and the clutch at the same time. You're not going anywhere, but the engine is racing. And that's how we tend to feel in our bodies with lots of cortisol. The interesting study that I read recently, Stanford University took a group of people and they put them in MRI machines individually. They then got volunteers to sit outside the MRI machine and complain to those people while they were having brain scans to see what, if anything, happened to their brains. What happened was, at the end of 30 minutes, the hippocampus in the brain began to shrink. So they wanted to test this a bit further. This time, they got a group of people, put them in MRI machines, but rather than having other people complain to them, they asked them to just lie there in the MRI machine and complain. Same thing, 30 minutes in, it, in, the hippocampus begins to shrink. The hippocampus is responsible for learning and for memory. So the takeaway from this is, complaining makes you stupid. <laughs> it really makes it harder for you to think. Complaining costs money. It's a competitive sport. Keeps your focus on the problem. It is damaging to your health and it destroys relationships.
How many of you know somebody who is a chronic complainer? Let's get the hands up and hold them high. Everybody look around the room. That's social proof. Okay. Now, my guess is you don't really enjoy being around those people. Is that true? Say yes. Yes, it's a drag. It's a drain. Being around someone who chronically complain, complains rather, lowers the energy in the relationship. And complaining about someone causes us to look for more about that person to complain about. It's just simply the way people are. I've been fortunate enough to speak all over the world. I've got several speeches planned or booked internationally already this year. And it's funny because nowhere on earth have I found that it is okay to just go up and dump all your troubles on someone else. To treat their ears like garbage cans. And yet people do that all the time. Wherever you are, whatever you do, I find that people usually want to get home at the end of the day, pour themselves a drink or go to the gym or whatever. But then they sit at the dinner table and complain about everything that happened that day to their family. I saw this when my daughter was little. She was six years old at the time. She's now 27, but she was six years old and we sat down at the dinner table and she said, how was your terrible day today, daddy? Mm. And I realized that that's what I talked about. What was terrible? What was wrong? What was missing? What didn't go the way I thought it should? And so we began to ch change and to begin to say what we are grateful for at dinner. Complaining lowers the energy in a relationship. And complaining about somebody causes us to look at that person askance, to look differently. My, my daughter's mom was a dental assistant for many, many, many years. And she went to work with this new practice that she'd never worked at in Kansas City. And she was given a chart, so she went to the lobby, called the patient. The patient was walking down the hall with her. She put them in the chair, she opened the chart, she read the notes from their last visit, and she noticed that the previous dental assistant had made the notation P-I-T-A in the folder. Well, she'd never seen P-I-T-A before, but she didn't want to look stupid, so she didn't say anything. A few days later, another person, P-I-T-A, was written in their chart by the same previous dental assistant. For those of you who haven't pieced it together yet, P-I-T-A stands for pain in the, <laughs> And the dentist noticed the overall morale going down at the practice. She noticed fewer people signing up to come in and become patients. Her business was tanking. And she realized it was because this assistant was presetting all the other assistants to expect the patients to be a PITA. 
She said, if you're expecting a PITA, that's what you're gonna get. Your condemnation of another person causes you to look for more to be upset about that person. Does this make sense? Say yes. yes. Everybody say yes. yes. Good. I noticed this recently. I live in uh, Florida and somebody new moved in on our floor at the condos and I met him and I thought he was great. Met his wife, met his kids. And then one of my other neighbors told me some information about this man that was not particularly flattering. So what do you think? All of a sudden I'm watching him. Prior to that, he was great, but now I'm expecting him not to be so great. So complaining costs money. It's a competitive sport, keeps our focus on the problem, damages health, destroys relationships. So why do we do it? Why do we complain? As I shared, people complain for five reasons. And when you leave, you're gonna know them because I want you to know how to address the complainer rather than the complaint. So we remember the five reasons by this acronym, G-R-I-P, anybody wanna guess what the last letter is? Thank you very much, E, all right. Here's how I'm gonna teach you this and you're gonna know this. I was speaking in Springfield, Illinois last year, and I went to a whole bunch of Abraham Lincoln historic sites. And I didn't know this, but Abraham Lincoln went to what is known as a blab school. That means the teacher says some information for the students to learn, and then the student's jobs is to blab it back to the teacher, blab it to each other, say it as much as possible so that they learn it as well as the people around them learn it at a different level. So today we're gonna to have a blab school. Periodically I'm gonna share something with you and I'm gonna say in just a moment the G stands for and everybody in here is going to tell me what it stands for. But I need everybody to play. So let me, let me just gauge the room. Is everybody willing to play? Say yes. yes. Good, that's the energy we wanna maintain. All right, so here we go. Everybody look at the screen. Of the five reasons that people complain, the G in gripe stands for, let me hear you say it. Get attention. Get attention. People complain simply to talk to you. People complain simply to engage you in a conversation. This is not the George Carlin, dig me, get attention. This is simply to break the barrier and connect with you. Human beings have a need to connect, not a want, a need. That's why elevators are so uncomfortable. I'm in venues like this all year long and there's elevators and every time you get on, you know, you're fine when you first get on if it's just you, right? Then as other people get on, all of a sudden, the numbers become real interesting. It went from nine to eight. I wonder where it's going now. Seven. Until somebody complains and acknowledges everybody in the room 
and everything's good. Well, the Braves sure stunk it up on Saturday night, didn't they? Yeah, they sure did. You think it's ever going to stop raining? I don't know. I saw the animals lining up two by two outside. <laughs> we complain, and it acknowledges the other person. It creates a break, and then we can acknowledge them because this is a need. It's not a want. There's a cool show on Netflix called Magic for Humans. If you haven't checked it out, it's called Magic for Humans. And they do these fun, almost psychological experiments. And at one point, the host of the show hired 40 actors of all ages. He then put them into the corner of a city park and assigned them roles. And he said, okay, you two men, Here's a chess board, go over there, sit at the table and play chess. Uh, you two, you're a couple, here's a bottle of wine and a picnic blanket, go lie down on the picnic blanket, drink the wine. Uh, you, here's a book, go read the book. You two kids, here's a frisbee, go throw the frisbee. So he just made it look like people chilling in the park. And then he waited until somebody who didn't know what was going on, a non-actor, walked through and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a magician and I'm going to show you an amazing magic trick. Well, all the actors got up and started corralling forward, basically pushing this one person to the front. And the magician said, I need a volunteer, you sir. And of course he picked the one guy who didn't know what was going on. He said, come over here. He put the man there, put a chair down. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to make this man disappear. So he covers the guy with a tarp as all the actors are standing around. And then he goes, one, two, three, abracadabra. And he pulls the tarp off and all of the actors go, oh, where did he go? Nowhere, he's still sitting right there. But the point was to make him believe he was invisible. And the guy's face is priceless. He goes like this. Just watching everybody. And so over time, the actors go back out into the park and go back and do what it was they were trained to do. And this guy, still thinking he's invisible, goes in front of some of the actors and goes, ha, 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 and they just look right past him. He sits down and starts drinking the wine the couple was given, and they act like they've seen a ghost. He snags the Frisbee out of the air, and the kids act like, oh my gosh, a ghost. And the guy has a blast, because he's just been given one of the three great superpowers, right? So he goes around thinking he's invisible and loves it. All of a sudden, it got dark in here. Did y'all notice that? Don't know what happened to the There we go. Okay. So he has a blast with doing this and being invisible for about six minutes. And then at the end of six minutes, he goes from, 
nobody can see me to, oh my God, nobody can see me. Being seen is a human need. Getting attention is a human need. Growing up, a lot of us, myself included, I was the middle child, I was the Jan Brady of the bunch, I would always complain to get attention because it works. Does all this make sense? Say yes. Yes. Good. I was doing a uh, speech in Toronto, and again, this was a really big audience, about 5,000 people, and so rather than me bring books, which I've got a couple of dozen with me today if you want to pick up a book, but they brought in a local bookstore, which is called, it's, not, it's actually a national chain called Chapters. And Chapters is like Barnes and Noble. Remember when we had Barnes and Noble everywhere? Yeah? Okay, so they have Chapters everywhere. So rather than having like a little setup like I've got outside, they built a Will Bowen bookstore in the corner of the room with all my books, which was nice. And before I went on, I talked to the young man there, and he said his name was Pierre. He's 21 years old. He was the manager of the bookstore. And I thought, wow, you're young to manage a bookstore. And I said, how does your store do? He said, we're the number one chapter store in Canada. We outperform all the other stores three to one. And I said, you must be in a great location, a lot of walk-by traffic. He said, no, we never get walked by traffic. I said, are you in a rich area of town? He said, no, we're in a poor area of town. I said, okay, I, I give up. What's the secret? And he said, I have a rule that if anyone comes within 10 feet of one of my associates, that associate must stop what he or she is doing, look that person in the face and say, hi, And then I stared at him, just like you're staring at me. And I said, and? He said, there's no and. He said, I've looked at the closed circuit cameras. If you're in my store 20 minutes, you're going to get greeted on average 16 times. And I said, 16 times? Doesn't that make people feel like you're trying to, I don't know, sell them something? And he said... We are trying to sell them something. We're a bookstore. We just understand a basic human need, which is the G and Gripe, which everyone is going to tell me right now stands for? Get attention. Get attention. People simply want to talk to you. So if you've got somebody who is a complainer, just to connect with you, just to start a conversation, you know who I'm talking about. They're the ones who get up early and look at all the bad news mm -hmm. so they can come in and share it with you. Here's what you want to ask this person. Read it out loud. Everybody, one, two, three, go. Whatever. What is going well? This is verbal jujitsu. When this person comes up, they are going to default by telling you what is not going well. And so you need to begin to ask some variation of 
What is going well? What are you grateful for? What are you happy about? What are you pleased with? If they're complaining about their kids, what do you love about your kids? What are you grateful for? What are you happy about? You want to let this person know that they can get your attention by talking about what is good. They don't have to come with to you with all this bad stuff. When I was a little boy in Manning, South Carolina, my grandfather owned a hardware store. And he had four clerks that worked for him, all men, and I would follow them around, but invariably, the one I wanted to follow was a guy named Willie. Because everybody not only came to talk to Willie, but everybody wanted to talk to Willie, and everybody was in a good mood when they talked to Willie. You know why? Willie never said, what brings you in today? What can I do for you? What do you need? Willie always said, what's the good word, my friend? What's the good word? He preset people to be in a good mood. And you can do the same thing if you've got a person complaining just to get attention. Get people talking about something they're happy about or grateful for. Does this make sense? Say yes. yes. Good. All right. So before I change the slide, the G in gripe stands for? Yes. Beautiful. Now tell me, look at the slide. The R in gripe stands for? Remove responsibility. Remove responsibility. People complain to have themselves get out of doing tasks. Have you noticed this? Say yes. You give them something and the response is usually some variation of, you know, I would love to, but. And then the but gets in the way. And the but is all the reasons why not only can they not do it, but it's not their fault as to why they can't do it. I was one time flying from uh, Kansas City to New York. And I was actually going to uh, make a connection in New York, go on to Boston. Got in the plane in New York. It was time for us to take off. Nothing happened. No flight attendants coming around, no nothing. Everybody was in their seats. So we just sat there and we waited and we waited and we waited. Finally, after about 45 minutes past when we should have taken off, a flight attendant came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, the FAA requires that all flight crews have a mandatory downtime. Our flight crew got in late last night, so they literally could not even come on the airport grounds. But they're here now, and we are ready to take off. Everybody around me, without exception, starts to complain. Complain. Why couldn't they think about this? Why didn't they prepare for this? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, I want a pilot who's well-rested. I don't want to be sitting back there watching Better Call Saul and wonder if somebody is napping at the yoke. So we pull out onto the tarmac. Time for us to take off. Pilot comes on, says we're next in line. You know what happened then? 
Nothing. Nothing. This time we sat for an hour on the jetway. And I used to take flying lessons, and I flew in and out of this airport, so I know this airport. And other planes were going around us. I said, something's wrong. Sure enough, the pilot came on and said, uh, ladies and gentlemen. By the way, do you notice they do that? Do they teach them that in flight school? I wonder, first day of pilot training, everybody has to have a microphone and go, uh. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've discovered a problem with one of the generators. We're going to go back and see if we can get it fixed, and we'll keep you informed. What do you think everybody around me does? Complains. I'm thinking, I'm glad they figured this out on the ground. So we go back. Now, mind you, we should have already landed in New York City, and so we're sitting there. Guy sitting a couple of seats over from me decides to call, I guess it was his wife, partner, whatever. This is what he says. Hey, it's me. No, as a matter of fact, we haven't taken out off yet. Well, the flight crew got in late last night, and the FAA requires they have a mandatory downtime, and then they discovered a problem with one of the generators on the plane, and they're fixing it. I don't know. I don't know, but I'll call you when I get there. Okay, I love you too. All right, bye bye. Was he complaining? Yes or no? What was he doing? Facts. Stating facts. That's exactly right. I guess the guy in front of me overheard this guy. Figured he needed to call in too. So this was his conversation. No, not even hello. No. Well, the pilot, better known as Sleeping Beauty, got in late last night. Then they discovered a problem with this piece of junk plane. What's going to happen? I'm going to miss my connection. That's what's going to happen. Well, today, I know, today was the day for the RFPs. Look, if I can't be there to take my proposal to the client, there is no way they're going to hire me, hire our firm, rather, and I've got to go through New York and fly on to Baltimore. It's just not going to happen. I know because I know. Well, I guess I'm not going to win the company trip to Jamaica this year, am I? Look, I'll call you if I get there. Goodbye. Same question. Was he complaining, yes or no? Yes. Absolutely. And then as soon as he hangs up the phone, he's turning around complaining to all of us about her. <laughs> about her. And sure enough, the pilot then comes back on. Uh. He comes back on. He says, we've got the problem solved. We're going to sign a few things. We're going to take off. And then the pilot says, I've got great news. A lot of you missed your connection, but I've been working with our ground team and I have managed to get connecting flights for everybody on board. And everybody cheers. And then the pilot goes, except two people. <laughs> and he calls out the names and sure enough, the guy sitting right in front of me 
gets up, grabs his rollerboard, and storms off the plane. And I'm thinking, you make your own lunch. You make your own lunch. Honestly, I think this guy was trying to be removed of the responsibility of taking his wife to Jamaica. And that's why he was complaining. He was complaining to be removed of responsibility. So, if you've got somebody complaining to be removed of responsibility, this is what you want to say. I want to hear you stress the underlined word. One, two, three, go. One more time. Let's hear everybody. If it were possible, how might who do it? You. Meaning not? Me. Exactly. It's just a nice way of continuing to put it back. I do this with my five full-time employees. If it were possible, how might you do it? It's amazing how they'll surprise you with their creativity. So before I change the slide, let me hear everybody in here. The G in gripe stands for? Yes. One more time. The R stands for? And the I stands for? Do you know why it's inspire envy? Because brag doesn't begin with an I. But it's the same thing. It is not considered okay to brag about your good fortune. But you can complain about your good fortune and accomplish the same thing. I've got a good friend who just bought a, um, he's done really well, he lives in Kansas City, he's got a home at Lake of the Ozarks, and he just spent a million dollars on a boat. And he had told me, and I had congratulated him, and a few weeks later we were sitting in a coffee shop, and a couple of our friends walked by, and he leans back and he goes, you know, Will, when you spend a million dollars on a boat, you think it would come with a better trailer. What do you think all our friends did? You've got a million dollar boat? Another time we were sitting in the same coffee shop. He reaches into his pocket, pulls out a boat key. Who carries a boat key to a coffee shop? <laughs> this was premeditated. That's good. He pulls it out just as another group of friends go by and he says, you know, when you spend a million dollars on a boat, you think the key would come with one of those little floating key rings. And everybody goes, now, the way you tend to hear people complaining at work is one person will complain about someone else to try and make themselves look good. This is called an invidious comparison. So let's say you've got a meeting starting at eight o'clock and you look around and everybody's there except for one guy. Let's say his name is um, Tom. And so Julie says, well, we could start, but Tom is late as usual. And everybody goes, ha ha. Julie is not telling you that Tom is late. What is Julie telling you? She's on time. Exactly. 
People do this at work all the time. They complain about somebody else so that you'll notice the opposite about them. So this is what you want to do. Everybody read this out loud. One, two, three, go. Compliment the opposite. Say it one more time. Compliment the opposite. Compliment the opposite. Compliment the opposite of whatever they complained about. So in this example, you would say, Julie, you know what I appreciate about you? You're always on time. Compliment the opposite of what they are complaining about. Does this make sense? Say yes. yes. Is this good stuff? Say yes. yes. Good. All right. So before I change the slide, the G in gripe stands for? Yes. Let me hear everybody. The R in gripe stands for? Yes. Stay in our blab school. The I stands for? And the P stands for? Power. People complain for power. People complain to get other people on their side. This is why alliances get built at work. Because most people are quite happy to do their jobs and move through their day and contribute and get paid and feel good about what they're doing. But some people are there to stir things up. And the only way to stir things up is to engage other people through complaint. I call this enrage and engage. The best way to engage someone is to enrage them. I was actually working on a third edition of my uh, book, A Complaint for Your World, coming out next year. And I was doing some research online and while I was doing research, because all social media, by the way, is based on complaining for power. It is. And so I was sitting there and I was doing research and I was like, I'm thinking about buying an electric car. Let me look into electric cars. You know how that happens? All of a sudden you're chasing rabbits all over the internet. So now I'm YouTubing electric cars and this little, you know how they put the little suggested videos up on the thing? My suggested video was, woman gets thrown out of trailer park because her chest is too big. <laughs> I kid you not. All of a sudden, no more electric cars. How many of you have seen The Social Dilemma? Raise your hand. Look around the room. A lot of you have. Those of you who haven't, should. It's on Netflix. It's all about how all of the social media companies, they bring in the former director of development for Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. They bring them all in and they say, what's the one thing you've discovered gets people to view your platform longer and they all give some answer of, we make them angry. We make them upset. The more upset they are, the longer they stay with us. Here's my commercial, all right? Here's my commercial. Hi, I'm Will Bowen, and I'm running for Senate here in the great state of Georgia. And I just want you to know that I think everybody in Washington, D.C., is doing a great job 
And I want you to elect me and send me up there so I can help them keep things just exactly the way they are. Vote Will Bowen for status quo. Am I getting elected, yes or no? Absolutely not. You gotta say things like, they're skunks, they're scallywags, they gotta go, and I'm the only one that can save us. People complain for power, because it works. Now, how does this tend to show up at work? Well, dovetailing on the complaining to inspire envy, oftentimes you'll get two people at work complaining about each other, trying to build an alliance. Are any of you, I hear some laughs. Any of you experiencing this right now, raise your hand at work. All right, if you've got somebody, some people like that, here's what you want to do. You want to bring the two of them together, and this is what you want to say. One, two, three, go. The two of whom? Meaning not? Exactly. Sounds like the two of you have a lot to talk about. You just keep isolating them. Sounds like the two of you have a lot to talk about, and I'll arrange a meeting just so you can. But what this does is it lets other people know that your power is not for sale for the price of a complaint. Make sense? Say yes. yes. All right, before I change the slide, the G in gripe stands for? Let me hear everybody. The R in gripe stands for? Yes, the I in gripe stands for? Great. The P stands for? And the E stands for? This is a longer one, so let's everybody say it one more time. The E stands for? Excuse for performance. Now this one is actually an easy to remember. Because with remove responsibility, you give somebody a task, and they don't want to do it to the level you would like. So they're warning you in advance. Excuse poor performance. They've already done a bad job, but they want you to know it is not their fault. So they're going to complain about everything surrounding that. You know, I would have loved to have gotten you that information, but you know how slow marketing is. And once I got it from marketing, then I had to go to accountant, accounting, and accounting's even worse than marketing. And then, of course, well, Mars is in retrograde, so there's all of these very important real factors. And that's why I didn't do a good job. People are complaining to excuse their poor performance. All right. So just like with, with remove responsibility, they're wanting you to let them off the hook. They're wanting you to say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. But you wanna keep them on the hook. The problem is that what most of us do is we say things like, why didn't you think about that? Why didn't you plan for that? Why didn't you make arrangements in case that happened? And the person gets more and more defensive, not less, and they're also more likely to do it again in the future. So instead, this is what you want to say. Everybody, one, two, three, go. How do you plan to improve when? Next time. 
Because this time is over, y'all. And if you keep asking about this time, they're going to get more and more defensive. But you can accomplish all of the things you want by saying, how do you plan to improve next time? Make sense? Say yes. yes. All right, everybody look at me. This is your test. Time for our black school test. The G in gripe stands for? Yes. Let me hear everybody. The R in gripe stands for? Yes. The I in gripe stands for? The P in gripe stands for? And the E stands for? Yes. Give yourselves a round of applause. You got it? We're going to take a few minutes and we're going to do uh, some Q&A, so if we can get our Q&A microphones down here, so everybody who wants to can raise your hand, but before we do that, I want to invite you to take the complaint-free challenge. Take it back with you to work. Take it back with you to your families. Every time you catch yourself complaining, you switch the bracelet to the other wrist. That's all you do. People so often say to me, I want my kids to do this, but, you know, my kids will never stop complaining. I'm thinking, where do you think they got it? <laughs> if you work on not complaining, your kids will complain less and less and less over time. So the key is, how many days in a row do you want to go? 21. It takes most people four to eight months to make it, but we have had thousands of people from all over the world who have made it. So who would like to, oh, by the way, I know you're about to leave today, and we've got a gala tonight and everything. Don't be a bracelet cop. You know what I'm talking about. When you're standing around having a drink after we're done, or over there coming to see me at the book table, and you hear somebody else complain, don't tell them to switch their bracelet unless you switch yours first because you're complaining about their complaining. All right? And no, you can't put a bracelet on each wrist. And no, you don't get the rest of the day as a free day if you catch yourself complaining. So who would like to ask questions? I see my microphones. People are standing here. Raise your hand if you've got a question for me. Be happy to answer any questions that you may have. Hand right down front here in the middle. Thank you. And while he's coming, I'll let you know, and we'll talk a bit more about it in a minute. We have a complaint-free business program. It's not expensive. I think it's less than $100. 50 bracelets, videos, uh, uh, workbooks. You can take this back and get everybody where you work to take this challenge as well. Yes, sir. So sometimes when I'm in the middle of, um, you know, a task or whatever, uh, a cuss word will come out. Is that a complaint? You want to know if a cuss word is a complaint? I love that. How many of you think a cuss word is a complaint? Say yes. How many of you think a cuss word is a complaint? Say no. The answer is no. I've actually done a lot of research in this because I find it very fascinating. We store cuss words in our brain in a different location than all the rest of our language. That's why I cuss different than you do. And everybody else, we all, your word might be fudge. Your word might be something a lot different. But we all have our own cuss words. 
And if you stub your foot or something like that, you know. Now, if you were to say, this guy's a blanking idiot, that's a complaint, okay? In my book, I actually write quite a bit about cursing because I think it's fascinating. Who else has a question? Come on, don't let cussing be our only question. Here's one over here. Gentleman's running up to you right now. Yes. Hey, great presentation, by the way. Thank you. I was just curious, what do we do with this bracelet after 21 days? <laughs> I love the confidence in that question. My first response was contact me after the 21 days and we will send you, we actually will, we'll send you a certificate of happiness. <laughs> because we have found that the number one byproduct of people taking the complaint free challenge is they become happier. We've actually had people say, is it supposed to do that? Like this is some side effect we should disclose. Warning, giving up complaining may induce happiness. But yeah, we do that. And the other thing is you can also pass it on to somebody else. But the interesting thing is, I've got a group of people who pay to be in this, this group. They have private access to me, support each other in the Complaint Free Challenge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what most people tend to do is once they hit the 21 days, they do it over again and over again, over again. There's a guy in there who owns a chocolate shop in um, Brazil who has made it seven times. We just keep sending in certificates. Yeah. Other questions? Hands raised? Do I see any hands? Do I see one more? Yeah, okay, here comes one, yes. You identify how to, you know, subtly get people accountable when they're griping. What, is there a tactic for just overtly having a conversation of like, hey, I know this is something you do on a regular basis. How well does that go over? Not well, usually. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. People, people don't want to hear their complainers. They don't want to hear that they're negative. They would much rather you figure out a way to draw that out of them in a positive way by asking them some of the questions that I shared with you. And the uh, ebook goes into quite a bit of detail about that. People often say, um, how do I get my wife or my husband to read your book? And I used to say before smartphones, take all the other reading material out of the bathroom and eventually they'll get to it. But nowadays everybody's on their phone. So um, it's, just, it's, it's just a process. It's just, yeah, you've got to begin to retrain that person. And what will happen is often they'll stop complaining in your presence but they'll still complain in other people's presence, just because they know to in your space to be different. That's a good question. Any other questions? I'll close up here. I'll tell you what, I'll close with the three most common questions people ask me. The three most common questions are in order. How do we get you? We want to have you come speak to our organization, either virtually or live, or We've got another association or whatever. If you go to your bracelet, look at your bracelet. It says a complaintfreeworld.org. If you go there, it says speaking up in the top corner. Just click on that, and you can find out information about me. 
Second most common question is, how do I get more bracelets? I touched on that briefly. Go to acomplaintfreeworld.org, and if you click on full store at the bottom, you get all kinds of different things you can use. We've got parenting classes, we've got relationship, we've got all kinds of cool stuff, so you can check that. Hands down though, to be honest, and this is going on 16 years ago, but people still come up to me and ask me, what is Oprah like? <laughs> this is back when I still had the cul-de-sac. Yeah, it's so funny because right after I did this, Oprah leaned over and patted me on the arm and she said, you know what? I have nothing to complain about. And I thought, of course not, you're Oprah Winfrey, for goodness sake. What are you gonna complain about? You're one of the richest, most powerful people alive. And my poker face did not work that day. And I literally rolled my eyes at the woman and looked at her like, uh-huh. And she goes, no, no, you missed the point. Oprah said, it's not that I have everything that I have, and that's why I don't complain. Oprah said, I don't complain, and that's why I have everything that I have. Mm. You see, Oprah gets that she makes her own lunch, and she does it every day with intention. And so can you going forward from this day. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. I've enjoyed being with you, and I look forward to seeing you outside. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice of you all. Thank you. I'll see you in the lobby.